Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. How often have you heard a sports person talking about their teammates and saying, when I look around the dressing room before a match and I look into their eyes, these great men, these great women, I know I can trust these people. I can go into the, I can go to war with these people. You've heard that a lot, right? I've heard of many We've times. all heard a lot of interviews. It was Ferguson, wasn't it? They used to, you know, used to, used to ask the players to actually do that, to look at the player to your right and say, can I trust this guy? Ah. Yeah. Everyone except the guy sitting beside Brian McClare was very relieved to do that. <laughs> Just one guy every single week on. Ah, don't know. That's hard. That's why well, Brian McClare. Why pop at Brian McClare? Brian McClare scored nearly 30 goals in one season for Manchester United. First player to, to break the 25 goal barrier for Manchester Oof. United since Dennis Law or George Best or one of those guys. Murph's off on one about McClare again. Let's just, say <laughs> Let's just say it's not for me. I met Brian McClare at Old Trafford. He was very nice. Was he? A uh, lovely man. I was playing against his team. Uh, on Dennis Irwin's team. Oh, this is when Jonathan Norcroft skinned you and then you got went mm. off injured very shortly Jonathan afterwards. Norcroft, uh, yeah, he gave me a thorough schooling. Yeah. <laughs> but I had a hematoma. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was really, I was on one leg. Uh, on two legs, I'm sure I would have given a better account of myself. But uh, McLaren, lovely man, fine footballer. I have, I have no idea why you suddenly picked <laughs> him out of out of everyone well, to I'm bully just thinking, I'm just Brian thinking. McClare. He was keeping the ship afloat there for a couple of well, years when I, there, there wasn't much else going on. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the first championship winning team that Manchester United super sub Brian McClare on a lot of those in a lot of those games. Well, I a sub. He, he played most of the games until Cantona arrived. Yeah, and then he. Due, I mean, his greatest ever service to Manchester United was dutifully getting out of the way so that Eric Cantona could... This is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Well, listen, you're asking me to back up my, my comments. I'm doing it. I'm sorry. You're not. You're failing to do it. Cheap yeah. shot. Forgive him for he he knows not what he talks about. I haven't even welcomed anyone to the show yet. Oh, yeah. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Comments podcast. Hello there, Owen. Until Hello. two nights ago, I never fully grasped what that meant. Okay. This idea of... Going to war. Going to war, looking in the eyes of your teammates. That was until I had the pleasure... No, no, no. The honour of calling Murph, Ken and Mark Horgan teammates at a viciously competitive table quiz in Stilorgan. Oh, yeah. oh, we barely got out of there alive. <laughs> Tough neck of the woods, Murph, as I, as I know well. Mm. But uh, we, were, we were... Didn't make it to the Leisure Plex for a quick game of bowling. 
afterwards. No time for that. You kept the car running. Kept the, kept the car running, yeah. Just in case we needed Got a speedy exit. That's and good. Sure, we were involved in promoting the event with Temple Street Children's Hospital. And yeah, we could only manage third place. But, you know, there's no shame in being beaten by Bongo Christ, is there? I think, Owen, that it would have been... It would have looked bad if we'd won our own quiz. Sure. I think people would have... I think, if, say, if we wanted to... F- to choose if we had the ability to just choose where we wanted to finish in this quiz mm. to answer the questions that we knew and then also just throw a few answers just because we didn't want to be seen to be winning our own quiz I mean I think it would just be, yeah. it would smack of a lack of class quite frankly to go and win our own quiz but if we could choose if we had that level of uh, power over our own quiz third probably sounds about right well we might have won the quiz if, if you hadn't made such a mess of the American sports round uh, me you and Owen well, yeah. Four out of eight. Yeah, Unbelievable. I, I'm, I was just surprised at the number of football questions that you actually managed to get wrong, Ken. But again, maybe this is not what the, we look should the, be. You know, what are we t- talking t- about? T- I, I got all the football questions right. The only ones that were got wrong were actually Owen's fault. Well, this is not what I had expected. The uh, teamwork is falling no, apart. One of, the, one, of, one of them was Owen's fault uh, when he said... Uh, which it was which former Manchester United player is the top goal scorer in the history of the Europa League and Owen immediately said and oh, started Diego writing Forlan, yeah. Diego Forlan and, yeah, and he said it with such authority it was like a, a mind trick you know it was like oh okay well Owen knows that whereas Cor- of course I was thinking isn't it Henrik Larsson I was thinking the same thing actually. and it was Henrik Larsson <laughs> and then and then well well, it didn't work the second time because Owen it was which Premier League which player has most Premier League goals for one club or after Alan Shearer? Was it after Alan Shearer or just... After all, Alan... No. No, was Alan Shearer wasn't mentioned, yeah. It was all together. Who has the most Premier League goals? It wasn't that... We were thinking, well, Alan Shearer is obviously top, but he scored a lot of goals for Blackburn. Um, and uh, Owen said, Rooney? And you said, nah, that's Thierry Henry, mate. See, this is why we came third. This is lack of team spirit. I looked around. What happened there was I looked it around was before Rooney. that. Of course it was Rooney. I looked around there before that table quiz, looked into the eyes of my teammates and thought, no, these guys are going to mess. These guys are going to screw it up for me. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. So Yeah. Wouldn't want to be in the trenches with these guys. No, definitely not. <laughs> these Brian McClare's sitting all around me. Yeah. My, my spare socks have already gone missing. <laughs> US Murph coming up later on the show to answer all the big questions this week. Is Tom Brady the greatest of all time? Did Brian end up going to Doug and Lisa's Super Bowl party? Was the right ratio of guacamole to nachos just about right? We know Brian's a big guac man, mm-hmm. so he needs a lot of it. Few nachos, much guacamole. That's how to keep him happy. We'll also get into the Ireland team named to play Italy right after I take a moment to thank you for the unbelievable response to our announcement of the Second Captain's World Service. We're pretty pumped about starting this up next week, particularly after all the nice messages of support that you've been sending us over the last couple of days. A lot of suggestions, guys, about what we can do with all this extra podcasting time. Mm. Big calls for an expanded Ken's Goose. Uh, almost equal in size uh, uh petitions for it to never happen again I believe well there was one suggestion to cover all the leagues of Europe I don't know how you feel about that (laughs) (laughs) I quite liked Richie Sadler's Millwall Christmas Party Hour as a regular as a regular show that's Mm. a runner from Will Hamilton why stop at an hour yeah you could do a Joe Rogan style three hours uh, three hours of or an eight parter you know uh, that's how I'm consuming a lot of podcasts at the moment just eight part essays I like Joe Rogan just sits there smoking weed and then just you know talks for like (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting uh, production method. Yeah, he, I suppose he's, he's obviously pretty confident that he's not just going to start talking complete, you know, nonsense. Declan Tyrrell, room for a few more ex-Banillas lads in the show? Well, no, Declan, Richie's increased airtime is already making me a bit nervous. So, If David Kidd thinks he's coming in here and taking any more of this, 
<laughs> yeah, taking my job. He's got another thing coming. If you missed the shows earlier in the week, you haven't got a breeze what I'm talking about, please allow me to play you this emotional audio montage to get you in the mood. That might be, you know, aiming for utopia, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. Oh, Richie, God. how are we feeling this morning? I just watched the goal set to the Titanic music and it really works. Oh, it really, really works. I think this is the most fun we're ever going to have on a podcast. I don't want to get into a war of words. I don't want to get into a war of words. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> you might remember Alan Ferns. Did you I used remember to... Alan Ferns? Yeah, Ferns, yeah. Red haired guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Me yeah. and Alan Ferns had a fight once in the, in the Guinness uh, <laughs> swimming pool dressing room. Oh, Mottling Street there. Fraser and Ali in another incarnation when they were both young and I guess I was too. <laughs> Reverend Jesse Jackson, you're very welcome to the show. Well, the few people resist publicly, he uh, cast a light to lit up our pathway. 30 million watched the fight. What? Yes, that's true. Um, I was better known in Africa than I was in that's Ireland. unbelievable. He threw a hard trial, I think at David Beckham, <laughs> uh, in the, is that right? No. So I had this weird thing where I was always the same weight as my age. <laughs> Holy shit, Kenan Murphy, it's US Murphy. Round of applause for US Murphy. That's him. Kios, right? Upstairs at Kios. Kios, everyone, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> oh, oh, my words. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened, but talk us through it. Oh, just saying, Sid Thorson is the old. <laughs> 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 Oh my god. Is it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. He was about 12. <laughs> Everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? No, really. What happened? What happened? It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Ken, you were a little bashful on today's football podcast when I asked you to give us another bar of that James McCarthy impersonation. I couldn't twist your arm now, could I? I don't want to get any award awards. No, it's still very good. It's, it good. it's disrespectful, you know. I don't, uh, if... If I felt I could do a good James McCarthy impression consistently, I would have no hesitation in doing it. But as it is, I'm just doing a bad Scottish accent. <laughs> well, no, a good Scottish accent. I respectfully, just, it, it, I respectfully disagree. Wants. Ken's James McCarthy impression, one of the high points of our four years as the Irish Times Second Captain's podcast. In that time, you produced almost 800 shows. You've listened to some of them, maybe all of them in certain cases. And it's thanks to our interactions with you that the show has grown so much since those early days back in 2013. Now we're trying something new. And we hope you like it. Next Monday, February 13th, if you haven't heard, it's the launch date for the Second Captain's World Service. Yeah. We'll be giving you the chance to listen to all of your favourite... Sorry, Murph. 
That was loud, sorry. No, that was good whistling. No, I like it. All of your favourite Second Captains podcasts every day of the week as part of our member-led independent online station. We're talking six podcasts a week minimum here, folks. The usual two on a Monday and then one every day from Tuesday to Friday. And that's before we even factor in the new shows and the Second Captain's Sable that we're going to be announcing soon. As I mentioned, this will be led by you guys and membership will cost five euro a month plus fat depending on where in the world you are. And aside from all the shows, you'll also get the once-in-a-lifetime gift of a Second Captain's induction pack. Pretty sweet. A lot of you have been asking if you can listen to it on your podcast apps, and the answer is yes, absolutely. Whether that's the iTunes one, Overcast, Podcast Republic, Podcast Addict. There's a lot of them out there now. You'll be able to listen to it on your podcast app. Membership will be open from next Monday, February 13th. That's when you can sign up next Monday. Where to do it is on secondcaptains.com. The first of the daily podcasts will begin on Monday. And if you're not in a position to join up, you can still listen to the two Monday shows, whatever way you listen now. But to join up and hear the shows right through the week, every week, please become part of the Second Captain's World Service. We need you guys to make this work. And judging by the initial reaction, you're thinking along the same lines as we are. So hopefully we can make a success of this together. So that's next Monday, February 13th. The Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast becomes the Second Captain's Podcast. And you can get it daily. It'll be really easy, really secure to join up. All details will be on a beautiful new website, secondcaptains.com, on Monday. If you have any questions at all in the meantime, no question is too small or too silly. Just email editor at secondcaptains.com or tweet us at secondcaptains. Now it's Six Nations time. Back to Campbell, back to Duggan, McLaughlin going for that line, and Ireland are in and over. Simon, the team is in for the Italy game. Yeah, so three changes overall in the squad. Um, I suppose the biggest surprise is Keane Healy in for Jack McGrath. I mean, Ireland last week, the one thing that was working for them I thought in the first half certainly was the scrum. Jack McGrath was a big part of that. Uh, Dunica Ryan's in for Ian Henderson in the second row. That's probably because the lineup malfunctioning. And then um, Tommy Bowes off the bench, out of the squad altogether. Craig Gilroy is in, who, you know, hasn't had too many opportunities with Joe Schmidt. So that's mm. a bit of a surprise as well. Trimble's still injured, a little niggle there. So he didn't have that many options. I would say Turner O'Halloran still somehow gets overlooked. Maybe we're missing something there, but. Um, I think Joe probably had to make some sort of change. You beat New Zealand, Australia and South Africa and then you lose to Scotland in a horror show, certainly for 40 minutes. I think you have to make at least one change to tell the other players that, you know, there's consequences here. Yeah. And at the same time, I don't think he particularly wanted to change anybody because those guys, they're, they're his first choice at the moment, injuries permitting. Yeah, not just his first choice, but a lot of the players in that team have delivered very recently for Ireland. It would be a little mm. different maybe if this was a team that had been malfunctioning for six months or a year but until the most recent game we were talking about these world yeah. beaters who were going to yeah. bring us to a grand slam might be a little harsh to just kick them all out bring in the yeah. other 15 that's what people were saying after the 2007 World Cup drop them all <laughs> drop every single one of the players bring in some new young guys yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's weird because so I don't Driscoll think Driscoll out I don't think many people were uh, were suggesting that wholesale changes were required. It was just it was really bad performance that indicated a couple of things that Ireland really need to change but Tommy Bow aside, I don't know that many people were clamouring necessarily for root and branch changes to the actual 15 or 23. No, and the the changes to the actual strategy and temperament and mental preparation are really obvious. So all those players there you know can change that and rectify that. So it's not a personnel thing, it's a mentality thing. Shane Jennings, just before we crack into the team itself, you're keeping well, I hope? Yeah, great, thank you, yeah. Good stuff. Well, we've been making the point that 
Joe Schmidt isn't really an axe-wielding kind of a coach, and I don't know if people were expecting wholesale changes. But this Jack McGrath dropping, or whatever you'd call it, rotating wrestling is interesting. Keen Heaty's in there now. Joe suggested that they're being rotated. I don't really understand this. I mean, I do understand rotating players during the season, but that's when they get their rest during the club season. The whole idea is that then they're ready to play in the biggest games and the biggest international games in particular. So if he feels Jack McGrath is his better prop, why not pick Jack McGrath for a game they have to win? Oh, and I'm totally with you. I totally agree. Right. Uh, if I was Jack McGrath and I was in a Six Nations campaign, I'd be like, I don't need to be rested. I get rested, like you said, during the season. That's why we have a player welfare, welfare system in or whatever they're calling it. Like, I'd be furious if I was Jack, if I was told, yeah, we're going to rest you. I'd be like, I don't want to rest. And Keane Healy's obviously licking his lips because he wants to get the opportunity. So if he's dropped, he's dropped. Say it. Don't say, oh, we're going to rest him because it kind of contradicts what they're saying throughout the season. So, yeah, I totally agree. In your opinion, is McGrath the better option there now if you were picking a team for the weekend? And uh, yeah, I suppose I'll stick with that. I was about to give you one of those double uh, double questions, but I think it's easier as one question. Would you pick Jack McGrath? Um, yeah, listen, I haven't played with both the guys. I know them as players and I know them as blokes, so I'd hate to kind of say, oh, one's better than the other. But on form, let's be honest, I think Jack McGrath has been probably not just the standout prop, he's been one of the standout players in the Irish squad for the last number of seasons. And I think Keane would probably admit that. Shane, Tommy Bowe came into the squad for the Scotland game on a run of no real form and not a huge amount of games even for Ulster and an Ulster team that were struggling. Didn't have a great game and then is out of the squad altogether again. Craig Gilroy, who's never really been a, a choice of Joe's before, has come onto the bench he, it's a back three substitute, so he will almost definitely play at some point. Is this as close as it comes to Joe Schmidt admitting he made a pretty blatant error in selecting Tommy Bowe in the first place? I know in the past when Joe with Leinster that he goes, listen, I was always going to pick whoever it may be for this game, no matter how they'd played the week before or how the player that may have been there before them was playing. Like I know I was picked for a semi-final and I didn't play in a quarter-final, but it was due to how I had performed a few weeks previous to it. So whether he's had his eye on Craig Gilroy and said, you know what, we're going to give him a chance, look at his age profile, this is a good opportunity to do it, or whether he said, you know what, Tommy, you didn't cut the mustard, uh, I'm going to drop you. Nobody knows what conversation went on there. So there's two trains of thought. What one is correct, I have no idea, to be honest. Schmidt is, was asked about the bus again being late for the Scotland game. He said, I think it's incredibly disappointing the way we started last weekend. I don't think it was apathy. There was a bit of anxiety and not having the full period to warm up. Actually, I don't even know if he was asked about the bus, but he was certainly talking about it. Players get anxious. They get very routine-based. I do think it's a challenge for a professional player that they can be adaptable in different, different circumstances so they can start well and cope. This bus being late thing is... It's grinding my gears at this point, Jay. Uh, like, what can, <laughs> it's going on a long can, time. Can, can, we were 10 minutes, the, the bus was 10 minutes late. I don't understand the point of it coming up and Joe still talking about it being an issue. You know, I saw Bernard Jackman, I think it was the other day, saying it would be an issue for the kickers probably. But other than that, everyone would just get on with it. Um, do you think that too much is being made of this, that we're not just accepting our defeat by Scotland gracefully? Yeah, like... I think Bernard's point about the kickers, that's the only people that it really has an impact on because they like to go out, maybe get a rub beforehand. So it does take a bit of time. Generally speaking, it's irrelevant. Um, and you do have to adapt. Doesn't, if doesn't the coach have to, even if he's asked about this, say, yes, yeah, this is irrelevant? Even if in the back of the, yeah, his head he thinks it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree, yeah. Um, and that's one way to put an end of it because... <laughs> No matter what, if it was Scotland and they were, you would go, hey, listen. Whatever. Yeah, 100%. Really yeah, yeah. In terms of preparation, actually, Shane, you were involved with Ireland in a build-up to an Italy game. Is it different to the other Six Nations games? Ireland 
to beat them almost every single time and they know they'd have to play pretty badly to lose to Italy. Is it a different sort of build-up, a tricky build-up for an Irish team? No, thankfully not. I think there's a healthy respect there no matter what uh, level of opposition you're playing for. And that's, you know, the standard cliched line that you'd get. But genuinely, it is the reality because there's a pressure you put on yourself that, okay, in your head, you might feel that they're maybe not as strong as Wales, France, England. Uh, so you're kind of there's a fear there that hold on a sec, if we don't produce the goods, we're we're going to be a bit of a laughing stock here amongst our, ourselves and our home supporters. So there's that internal pressure where you want to deliver, which is very very beneficial for a squad to have. And then at the same time, you do actually genuinely want to give the opposition respect, because if you don't, they'll they'll do you? You know what I mean? They'll go have a go at you at the scrum and you disrespect some of their players that you might not think they wouldn't be capable of doing certain things. You can become a mug pretty quickly if you have that attitude. So thankfully we've, I think, in our provincial setup, we certainly didn't get ever carried away with ourselves and that came into an Irish camp where, listen, everybody is in their position for an international team and they're there on merit and they're good players. Let's not like let's not give an opportunity to a person to make a mug of us. And I think that's the way it's been in the past and that's certainly the way we prepared when we were playing against Italy anyway. In some ways is this quite is this a good week for the players, do you think, after is it an easy week in the sense that it's so obvious in a lot of cases what went wrong technically and I'm interested you focus more on the physical aspect of things earlier on. Sometimes maybe after a game that you've lost or even a game you've won you might not be 100% sure, well, what, am I, what am I supposed to be fixing here? How am I supposed to get myself right? It's pretty obvious for this one in so many areas for each individual player what they need to do on Saturday. Does that make it easier in some ways that there's a clarity? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I think even from the majority of players have a second chance now to rectify some of the issues that they feel that they, feel they wouldn't have done so well in. So they'd be licking their lips. Like it's embarrassing when you're watching a video when you've been beaten in a tackle over and over again. You're embarrassed when you see a sloppy placement. You're embarrassed when you don't get off the line and you soak in a tackle. And that that's a, a pride that you have in your own performance. And then when your own peers are looking at it going, Jesus Christ, all of us did this. Look at us. We're kind of... We got owned a bit for the majority of the game, and yet we had all this possession. We didn't capitalize capitalize on the opportunities. All these things. It's just brilliant where they have an opportunity to rectify those again. Rectify those again. So they'll be loving it. And like you said, playing against a perceived lesser quality team, like it's just it's such a nice place to be. Versus if you're going over to Twickenham or going over to Paris, and you're expecting to get the shit kicked out of you again. So <laughs> it's. Um, mm. It's a it's a nicer proposition, I would have thought. Quick prediction then, Shane. Will we kick the shit out of Italy? <laughs> Excuse my language. Yeah, starter. you brought it up and I, I've, I've run with it. What do, you, what do you reckon? I do think we'll win. Yeah, I yeah. do think we'll win. And the same story every time you talk about Italy, it's, it is about Parisi. And if he's struggling and if his neck is not right, he has mm. such a massive influence on the whole squad and the whole team. So I just don't think they have the quality there that they've had before. Um, but again disrespect them at your peril and you can come up short so they'll be prepared very very well and they will have an edge after what happened against Scotland so I, I do see them winning quite comfortably yeah Shane great to catch up thanks a million cheers guys sorry I've lost it the first minister's name Kieran Murphy our second captain and John Henderson former Kenny and Wicker Hardwick thank you both indeed for that uh, that's our lot for today just one headline, the British Prime Minister Theresa May is to meet the Tisha Gendekenny in London tomorrow. This morning she's at Stormont meeting Martin McGuinness and uh, also Theresa... Sorry, I've lost the First Minister's name. Arlene Foster, thank you for that.
gonna have to stick on this bus thing for a second, <laughs> right? We have to start becoming more gracious losers. Mm. We, as Irish rugby, Irish rugby men and women around the country, like Joe Schmidt finds it very hard to accept that he's been outthought in a game. I think anytime we lose. He brings something up. It's not like he makes the whole post-match story. It's not a Mourinho-style approach where he just starts talking utter nonsense and gets people to talk about the utter nonsense. But he does throw in, he's thrown in the bus this time. He he throws in the ref quite a lot when we lose. There's always something that the ref, the ref has done us in some way. In fairness, after the New Zealand game when the rest of us were probably whinging quite a lot, the New Zealand defeat, I, he didn't bite on all that. Mm on the violence there. So it's it's not after necessarily every single game. But I think that is there a little bit from Schmidt, certainly as Irish supporters. Like I saw Tom English tweeting a couple of days ago, geez, Ireland, just stop whinging about the bloody bus. It's embarrassing. And Alex Massey, who you know well, Ken, the Scottish yeah. political writer, is that the way? Yeah. He writes about politics mostly, but big sports fan. He says, ah, oh, it makes a change from whinging about people having the effrontery to tackle Conor Murray. So, you know, the Conor Murray, the, 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 the fact that we made, the, that we made, that the Munster in Ireland made the Conor Murray issue public is not to everyone's tastes but if it was bad enough maybe you're legitimate in defending your your player there it just seems like there's a, a lot of games now I think we're starting to this is how people see us now I think we, we, we're seen as whingers maybe we're New Zealand we're in New Zealand now as rugby well, no, 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 hang only... on. the, the Conor Murray thing was appropriate yeah that they were horrible tackles really dangerous and it was repeated and obvious mm. the bus thing on the Thursday before the Italy game I mean even the shame on the journalists for asking the questions even about this assuming it was an Irish journalist who brought it up but even just for PR they got to at this stage say oh that's totally irrelevant I mean that's the only answer you can have at this stage don't even broach the topic it, it is consistent though the us in this studio and a lot of supporters were given out yards about the violence at New Zealand executed upon us after that that victory I'd be I'm just I'd just be a little bit uh, concerned here There's that we would be seen though. as being uh, being bad losers you said that Schmidt didn't make an issue of Ireland being dominated by New Zealand not that time no but he will blame extraneous factors like the bus the referee and so on I think that's actually quite a reasonable approach for him to take you know He's not going to go on and on about something which, to a certain extent, you know, also reflects maybe Ireland's Ireland losing a you know physical contest, you know, being bullied. Well, he could have had a go with the ref that time. He would have been within his rights to have a go with the refereeing, the failure to punish New Zealand players. But for whatever reason, that mm. time he decided that the wisest counsel was not to. I, th- I, th- I think also in a more general sense that it appears as if 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 Schmidt doesn't moan after a result, we will. And if we don't, he will. So either way, it appears as if we're turning into a nation of of wingers. It's the one sport, isn't it? The one sport where we, where Irish people, one team sport, where we maybe feel a bit of entitlement, like we should Mm. be beating soccer. We've never had that in soccer. We've never had that in most sports. We didn't have it in rugby until the last 10 years. Yeah. But now we feel like we should be beating, we we feel like we should be beating Wales, even though they beat us loads of times. Yeah. I think, Owen, that we can all do better. You know? (laughs) Joe Schmidt, us, Fans generally, can we all just do a little better? Hopefully, we won't have any practice in this uh, until you know the summer tour. Let's let's just take care of Italy. And if we lose Italy, uh, the fallout would be very interesting. The Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast is out now. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. 
Well, Philip Lamb, one of the greats, decided to retire, but oddly for, or well, he's retiring at the end of the season, but oddly for a man who spent, who played nearly every um, game of his club career for Bayern, apart from a couple of little loan spells. Um, he managed to do it in such a way that suggests a rift between him and the club. Uh, so we talked to Raphael Honigstein about that, and we also talked about uh, a little bit about Arsenal again. Uh, it's a turbulent Ooh. times, choppy waters at the Emirates. We've kept you waiting pretty much all week, I think, so wait no more. It's US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Touchdown! Touchdown, Forty! Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Brian, this is just a football game intoned Howard Cassell as part of our intro package there. I mean, Sunday night Super Bowl was also just a football game, but what a football game. Oh, my God. I don't think it was just a football game. I think, like, people have, like, people over here have lost their minds pretty much on the historical significance of this deal of Tom Brady, the original Make America Great Again quarterback. Don't forget. He was the guy who started it all with the red hat uh, a few months ago when it was spotted in his locker with Tom Brady's crowning achievement, which has people just falling all over themselves to not just place it into historical perspective, but to simply sort of just exalt it into historical glory. Gone is Joe Montana from any conversation in anybody's right mind, although you might be talking to somebody who's feels a little differently. Gone is the belief that any man who ever played football better than Tom Brady, although you might be talking to somebody who's still holding out for, you know, a Jerry Rice. But this, my friends, is Tom Brady's time. He's ruling the world of the NFL. He's ruling the country. He's ruling the world. He's ruling the galaxy. And until further notice, I think he's just ruling time itself. Uh, this, this has sent the universe off its kilter. He came back from 25 points down in the Super Bowl with his legacy on the line, and the largest Super Bowl comeback prior was 10 points. So he has achieved Mount Everest, planted his flag, and the best part is most people think he's even looking for more. So uh, you're talking to your boy U.S. Murph, and the country still hasn't caught its breath, guys. That's what's going on over here stateside. Ah, uh, would you go away with your Jerry Rice and your Joe Montana, Brian? Would you stop? I remember I was a young man, a young boy uh, watching Joe Montana. I don't remember him ever stinking up a Super Bowl for two quarters, uh, looking like the worst quarterback in the league, and then coming out and playing as though he had just thrown four touchdown passes and confidence was sky high. That was what the amazing thing about Brady was, the, the absolute 
the the two sides, the, the completely two different performances that he gave. The fact that he could just—I think actually you you tweeted to um, tweet linked to a Michael Rosenberg piece in Sports Illustrated, and Brody uh, Rosenberg Brody <laughs> Homeland a reference there for some reason. Michael Rosenberg said that Brady obviously threw these shocking passes in the first half, the type of thing he never does. But this is what Brady always does. Whatever is next, failure does not stick to him. Well, yeah, but let's go back to your original point. You've never you don't remember Joe Montana stinking up a Super Bowl and then playing great. Because he didn't have to play great after stinking it up because he never stunk it up, okay? I mean, we could go on and on and on, and and we could return to Jerry Rice because what Jerry Rice did as a player is so dramatically ahead of everybody else who ever played his position, and he did it at the highest level. I still put him ahead of Brady. But back to Tommy, back to touchdown Tommy, handsome Tommy, uh, dimple chin Tommy, Giselle's Tommy, everybody's Tommy, Trump's Tommy. Yes, it was sensational. But, guys, to me, as much a part of the story, and I know it's so much neater and it's so much more fun to paint, you know, to carve Tom Brady's face into Mount Rushmore right next to Abe and Teddy Roosevelt. But it's as much a part of the story was the incredible choke job by the Atlanta Falcons. Unbelievable (laughs) choke job, historic choke job. Brady's chances at a comeback only existed because of the terrible decisions made by, uh, wait for it, new 49er head coach Kyle <laughs> Shanahan. He was the offensive coordinator who refused to run the ball on the 23-yard line, which would have ended the game, and Tom Brady could not have come back. He also put the team at great risk with that third-and-one shotgun pass play when it was 28-12, to leading to that strip sack and fumble. But that said... To give Tommy his due, he cashed in on every one of them, and the one that I think will stand out forever is the 91-yard touchdown drive to tie it at 28. Not the touchdown drive in overtime, not the short drive to make it 28 to 20. It was when it was 20. It was 28 to 12. That was just a short 25-yard touchdown drive. It was 28 to 20 after the Falcons had failed to kick that field goal. Three and a half minutes to go, and Brady had the ball on his own eight-yard line. He had to go 92 yards. This was his Montana moment. Because let's face it, guys, and the reason why I've always held out is that his first three Super Bowls, while magnificent, they are great. I'm not stealing from them, but each one of them was won on an Adam Vinatieri field goal, a dramatic field goal by kicker Adam Vinatieri. He never once led the Patriots to the Super Bowl, the touchdown drive he needed. Now, his fourth Super Bowl was fantastic because he played great 10 points down to the Seattle Seahawks, and he did lead two touchdown drives in the fourth quarter, and that was unbelievable against a great defense. However... The Seahawks answered and had the ball on the one-yard line and were just about to put the stake into him when the biggest gaffe of all time, the Seahawks not running the ball to Marshawn Lynch and trying to throw a pass, led to Malcolm Butler's scintillating interception. So you could make the argument that Tommy's four Super Bowl rings came from three Adam Vinatieri field goals and one Malcolm Butler interception. And in fact, you'd be making an accurate argument if you did that. So we'd never seen him do what Joe had to do, which is drive the length of the field with the game on the line and have to score a touchdown. And guess what? He did it. He did it, and he and it was beautiful, and it was clutch, and it capped a 25-point comeback, and he does deserve many, many, many of these plaudits. It is sensational. You can say that he is the greatest. He has the greatest resume of any quarterback in the Super Bowl era. You can say forever, but you got guys like Bart Starr in the 60s, 1960s, Green Bay Packers. He won five championships. Otto Graham in the 1950s won seven championships with the Cleveland Browns. So, I mean— There is nothing new under the sun. Just because it happened in front of your eyes doesn't mean it's the only time it ever happened, okay? I do respect history. But 
in the Super Bowl era, no quarterback has ever won five, and now he has, and he did it by driving 92 yards. And not only that, guys, he faced a third and 10 on that first drive, that 92-yard drive. The first two passes were incomplete, and he hit, I believe it was Malcolm Mitchell or Chris Hogan, I forget, because he had two huge third-down conversions. And let's face it, two things he's got to get credit for. One, they changed their game plan when they were down. They started going to shotgun only and quick releases. Pro Football Focus timed it. He stopped holding the ball longer in the pocket, and he started getting it out quicker. So they did change their approach, and that's why Atlanta couldn't hit him. And he was unerringly accurate on almost every one of those throws. Now, mind, there were two throws on that last drive that were tipped up into the air, and one of them was snagged by a receiver. Fortunately, the other was snagged by Julian Edelman in what will easily be one of the most famous catches in NFL history. That ball was first touched by an Atlanta Falcon defensive back. So Lady Luck's got to shine on you a little bit. Joe Montana once threw a pass that was almost intercepted in his game-winning drive against the Bengals, so it happens. But for Tommy to finally have his Joe moment where he didn't turn it over to Adam Vinatieri and where he didn't rely on the defense to make a stop, he had his Joe moment, and it was fantastic, and it was pretty darn cool, and I have to say... We will remember that one forever, boys. My question now, Brian, is in two parts. Uh, one, is this Patriots team among the most hated teams of all time to win the Super Bowl? And two, is that hatred... Try and outline where that hatred comes from in percentage points, having on one hand uh, Deflategate, uh, Belichick... Uh, and his methods go- crossing the line into uh, amateur espionage on at least one occasion in the past, and uh, their links to Donald Trump, uh, your new president. Good questions. Okay, 51 Super Bowl champs. Uh, where do they rank on the most hated? Mm, you immediately think of the Cowboys as a team that a lot of people hated during their heyday because they called themselves America's team. Okay. You immediately think of the Raiders. They were seen as villains in those days. I, and then you think of Belichick, Brady, Patriots. They would be in that conversation. Are they the most hated? You could make an argument, and the breakdown would go as follows. Out of 100 percentage points of hatred for the, for the, for the uh, Patriots, I would say because the Trump deal is relatively new, it's only about 15%. But it is 15%. I'm not diminishing it. There was definitely a strain were, of people out there. There yes. were neo-Nazis tweeting reasons why we should all be supporting the New England Patriots. Your man Spencer was tweeting during the game <laughs> about why everyone should be supporting uh, you know the what? New England Patriots. I, I, I mean, do the not Patriots follow can... Richard Spencer on Twitter. That is yeah. something I have not done. And uh, in fact, I recently unfollowed the Prez. And God, I feel I felt like I feel like I lost ten pounds. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, but I do not follow Richard Spencer. I mean, on it's Twitter, not the Patriots' so I was fault, un- but I was—I know you're right. It's not, but it is kind of. You know, they link themselves to when you get in boat when you got into bed with Trump. I'll never forget one of my buddies that night. I think I might have said it to you guys the morning after. My buddy sent to me. He goes, well, "What do I say to my daughter?" And uh, I said, "Well, you can start by telling her he was in- that our new president was endorsed by the Ku Klux Klan." You know, so I mean, there is a sense of when you get in bed with Trump, you are, you know, you lay down with dogs, you wake up with fleas, right? So, so fifteen percent. I'll keep it at fifteen percent on on the Trump on the Trump ties. Don't forget, you know, sixty-two million people did vote for Donald Trump. So there's not there's are people out there that love the fact that he's associated with 
uh, Donald Trump and Brady and Bella. It's not just Brady, too. Belichick, right? Don't forget the night before yeah. the election, Trump read the letter from Belichick. We were like, what? And there was a thought that the letter was a fake or a phony, but it wasn't. It was real. So the Belichick-Brady-Trump uh, connection is definitely 15. The more I'm talking, I'm going to bump it up to 20. Okay, 20 <laughs> points now for that. And then you get to, I think, the largest portion is the, is the belief of cheating. I, I'd say about 50% of that remaining 70 is the belief that these guys have been caught. They caught in Spygate. And I, and I know you said at least one occasion, but I think there might have been two. And people don't think, you know, they think if, if there's where there's smoke, there's fire. If he was doing it once or twice, he was certainly doing it more than that. And people are bummed on that. And then Deflategate came along. And I know that Tom Brady Sr.'s friend of ours and everything, they can tell you all day about PSI and that physics, you know, whatever. I forget. I lost track of all the <laughs> physics things they were citing about cold air pressure and all that. Bottom line is this, man. I think there's a firm belief that most everybody believes that he was deflating the, the footballs. And dude, is he the only guy to do it? Probably not. Did he get caught? Yeah. So when you add Deflategate and you add Spygate, there is no doubt a belief that, come on, guys, why can't you why can't you be winning these championships without that attached to you? So there's a large portion of that. So I'd say 20% Trump, 50% Deflate and Spygate. And then the remaining 30% is just simply what every winning team faces. You know, Like, for example, when I'm over there and I'm talking about cork hurling and cork football, you guys all hate me, right? I mean, you're down on me, you're we're, upset at me. We're, we're pretty okay with you now, <laughs> to be honest. No, it's it's fine. a lot of absolutely no problem. Uh, but listen, i got to say, I feel sorry for the Cardinals. I'm sure they're getting hammered. This week in the last few days, the Falcons. You mean the Falcons, the Cardinals? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel sorry for the Cardinals. They just didn't make it as far as the Super Bowl this year, Brian. But as for the Atlanta, hey, man, the Cardinals had a hard. Che- Don't forget, they had that hard cheese when Santonio Holmes yeah. tiptoed his his little tootsies in to beat the Cardinals in that Steelers Cardinals Super oh, Bowl. Yeah. That was fantastic a few years ago. But I digress. The Falcons. The Falcons. Oh, yes. What about them? Indeed. Well, you mentioned the Edelman catch, right? And people can, if people happen to be anywhere near their computer or their phone right now, they can have a look at that catch. It was an epic moment and it was a vital moment in the game. I mean, it was pretty jammy. You know, he didn't really, he, he kept concentrating as a number of the defensive players bounced the ball around between themselves on each other's hands, on each other's legs. And eventually he just sort of scooped it up before it hit the ground, not taking away from Mr. Edelman, but earlier in the quarter, right in the middle of the uh, comeback, the Patriots comeback, th- the Falcons were still looking somewhat dangerous. And Julio, Julio Jones, their wide receiver, took down the greatest catch I've ever seen. I mean, I'm talking a miracle catch. Apparently one of the Patriots, when this happened, one of the Patriots turned to one of the other Patriots on the sideline and said, why does this always happen to us? There's always a miracle catch in the Super Bowls that the Patriots lose. And it's been forgotten about. Well, I assume it's been pretty much forgotten about because they've lost. That's, that's, I just feel sorry. They pulled out some major plays and still they managed to blow it. You're absolutely right. We talked about it on the air. We tried to force it on the air to bring up that, that thing that happens in sports when a magnificent, sensational, should-be historic moment gets lost in the wash. And the one I think of, and you guys can probably think of stuff from GAA or whatever, the, the guy who's the second-to-last guy to score on some brilliant point. I mean, I remember the um, – who was that fantastic replay you guys had in September? The uh, uh, It was the hurling. Come on. Uh, football. Was, uh, yeah, Mayo and Dublin. A uh, guy from Mayo, Mayo kicked, Dublin. He kicked a, a point from uh, McGowan's – from the hut in February, Brian, <laughs> uh, pretty right, much. Right, but then it got lost in the wash, right, because the other team won, right? Yeah, completely, yeah. Right. So, And I think about in the 2011 World Series – the, the Texas Rangers played the St. Louis Cardinals. There's your Cardinals, Owen. And uh, and they it was an incredible game. The Rangers were about to win their first ever World Series. 
David Freeze, this hometown kid from St. Louis, hit a triple to tie the game, and St. Louis went bonkers. And we went into extra innings, and this guy named Josh Hamilton, who was in a compelling story. In fact, we may have even talked about him because he was this famous slugger who had horrific drug addiction problems and was basically homeless and on the streets and then came back and rebuilt his baseball career, and then he hit a home run in the top of the 10th inning. And it would have been like, oh, my God, this guy went from the streets. This guy was like homeless and almost dead. And he came back and now has hit a home run to win the World Series for the Texas Rangers. This is one of this is like Roy Hobbs and the natural. And then what do you get? In the bottom of the inning, David Freese hit another triple to tie the game and the Rangers wound up losing. So you have these moments, these guys who do these things and they're the second to last. I totally agree. And I'm I must admit, I'm having I'm having problems worshiping the ground the Patriots are walking on. I have various numbers of reasons. I get it. They're great. Fantastic. Five Super Bowls. I get it. But the Edelman catch to me is second to Julio Jones. I really do. And that's another thing that I get back to the Falcons because if they had run – that put the ball on the 22-yard line. There were three minutes and 56 seconds to go. There is no reason to throw the ball at that point in time when you know all you need is three points and you're running the ball successfully too. It wasn't like they couldn't run the ball. They were running the ball successfully. So Kyle Shanahan, the offensive coordinator, tried to go with this mantra, and you can apply this in any sport. What do you do when you're ahead? Do you, quote, stay aggressive or do you, quote, play smart? What do you do? Do you keep your foot on the neck? How do you keep your foot on the neck? And you start analyzing situations. And we had a guest on yesterday, James Lofton, Pro Football Hall of Famer. And he he looked at the head coach of the Falcons, Dan Quinn, one of our many Irishmen in the game. And he said, Dan Quinn at that point in time has to take the headset and say to Kyle Shanahan up in the offensive coordinator, said, we're up by eight. And if we kick a field goal, the Patriots can't win this game. Let's make sure we keep this ball in field goal range. Let's not risk ourselves a major loss. And he said Dan Quinn needed to tell Kyle Shanahan that they should not have called for a seven-step drop, which is what they did call for, which led to a 13-yard sack, which put them back to the 35-yard line, which took them out of field goal range. A holding penalty on top of that killed them. And that is bad game management. And it nullifies Julio Jones's catch, which now you and I have to keep alive for people because it's going to be forgotten in like two days. Because Edelman will be in a parade and Brady is still having that face carved right next to Abe Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt up on Mount Rushmore. So that's what we're left with, boys. History is written by the winners. We'll have to bring up poor old Julio's catch pretty much every slot from now on, I think, Brian. But hey, what did you think of the trophy presentation? That was a lot of fun. Roger Goodell enjoyed it anyway. Yeah, well, well, you know what was really nice was I, I at that point in time we had something going on in our living room, so the kids were distracted. Because it's a good thing. I understand that um, Willie McGinnis was coming in. I believe he went Quentin Tarantino, didn't he? Huh? There was some Tarantino script. He, he some, didn't uh, realize there language. was a microphone live. Yeah. Well, I think we all saw that. <laughs> so, you know, in America, you guys have a looser attitude about, I believe, cursing over there in European television. Over here in puritanical America, those things don't fly. And then, of course, Roger Goodell, guys. We talked about it before the game. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And sure enough, I mean, I don't know if you guys see the movie Spinal Tap when they, when they, when they yes. try to rationalize getting booed one time. They said they blamed the opening act, and they said they were still booing them when we were on stage. <laughs> and that's kind of, that's kind of how I felt about Goodell when he was up there. You know, they're still boo- they're still booing the Falcons when I was on stage. You know, <laughs> so uh, he completely. He completely got what was coming. You knew it was coming. And he there was footage of him shaking Brady's hand after the game. And Brady was kind of like, yeah, great. I'm moving on. And Goodell pulls him back. I don't know if you saw Donald Trump do that to his Supreme Court nominee 
Neil Gorsuch. He yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. dominated his hand and kind of arm wrestled him a little bit. Looked like Goodell was trying to do the same thing with Brady. Like, shake my hand long enough so we get a picture. Shake my hand long enough so we get a picture. Please shake my hand long enough so we get a picture. And uh, and Brady's like, I got to get out of here. And, of course, the story that warmed everybody's hearts is that, you know, as it turns out, Tom Brady's mom is fighting cancer. And she's in chemotherapy and hair loss, et cetera. And she's weak and she hasn't been to any games. And so that's why Tom was very, very emotional all week, you know, and it was just, you know, incredible. 25 points down in the Super Bowl with his legacy at stake. Come on, man. I mean, I know I sort of opened the conversation by joking about how, you know, he's now the emperor of the universe. But I got to say, it's pretty damn good. So hats off to handsome Tommy Brady. And he and Giselle are, are backs, you know, playing footsie now. The cutest couple in the world. And basically, it's just it's Tommy Brady's world, guys. We're just living in it. Brian, you mentioned watching the game at your kids there. Does that mean that you I, gave Doug and Lisa's a wide berth? Oh, no, no, no. Doug and Lisa's party is always a must. You know, the kids are invited to Doug and Lisa's oh, party. Okay. You do know that, right? All right. No, I thought it was a, 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 yeah. more of an adult affair. I don't know what yeah, I mean. No, I don't know what I mean by that exactly, Brian. But uh, yeah, I didn't realize it was for all, fun for all the family. No, it wasn't exactly a key party. It's not a key <laughs> party. Over no, Sub- no, no. I don't know. Suburbia, no, maybe, Brian. We don't know. <laughs> that could be in the future. Who knows? You know, you can only eat so much chili before you're looking for your next adventure. <laughs> but, uh, uh, no, the kids are allowed at Doug and Lisa's. And, uh, in fact, their little boy, Mason. Don't you know Mason? Uh, and his older brother, Cole. They like to have their friends over, and they like to run around and play video games. Now, Mason, of course, is close, near and dear to my heart. I coached him in baseball for the last three years. So, you know, this Doug and Lisa thing is not just a uh, – mm. it's not just chilly on the Super Bowl, man. We're talking community ties, guys, community ties. And you know Lisa. She was – you know, she's out of her mind. She's out of her mind right now. I think she actually might be in the parade for the Patriots. <laughs> so look for her in Boston. All right, she'll be the one with the chili pot, all right? Uh, Brian, unbelievable Super Bowl. Great to chat. Thank you. All the best, boys. We'll talk soon. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Downtown. Just listen to the music of the traffic in Six the street. Six foot nine outside here. Oh, rejected by Parker. Pops this shot. Nothing but net. You can't forget all your troubles. Coast to coast by the Americans. Downtown. Things will be great when you're downtown. No final place for sure. Downtown. It might have been a little frosty between Roger Goodell and the Patriots, but um, they've got the blessing of the top dog in America. Bill O'Reilly put it to Trump that Brady and Belichick have been getting a lot of heat because Trump keeps talking about what big mates he is with them. And he's and Trump said, yeah, yeah, but they're getting a lot of popularity out of it too. So. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. That was one of the things about the Super Bowl night, because you know, I had seen him talking to Bill O'Reilly, you know, Patriots by six points or eight points. He said eight points. I ended up winning by six, you know. I, should, I shouldn't do this, I think is what he said. I shouldn't give you a prediction oh, as the president. I'm not sure why not. Yeah. But uh, he did. Obviously, those they're going to be at the White House whenever that visit takes place. A couple of Brady's teammates won't make the trip. Martellus Bennett and Devin McCourty 
McCourty was asked by Time magazine if he's going to go there and he texted back saying I'm not going to the White House basic reason for me is I don't feel accepted in there with the presidential with the president having so many strong opinions and prejudices I believe certain people might feel accepted there while others won't so there was a, I heard Bill Simmons talking about whether or not any of the players would take the knee for the national anthem to continue that protest mm. that had been going on for the season uh, which didn't happen but these players are continuing to speak out even though they're being told to report on sport mm. they've, they've also been there multiple times probably anyway so I mean <laughs> yeah they might have other things to do White House, you've seen one house, White House visit you've seen them all forget Trump though there's some big political events taking place closer to home tonight for the first time since 1989 the Olympic Council of Ireland is going to have a new president the three candidates <laughs> 1989 so, yeah it was wow. a long stint mm. a long old stint three candidates Swim Ireland CEO and current OCI executive member Sarah Keane Bernard O'Byrne former CEO of the FAI, currently the Chief Executive of Basketball Ireland, and of course, our tip for the top, acting OCI President Willie O'Brien. Remember this from a couple of weeks ago? As President, will you travel first class? No. Have you travelled first class in your uh, times with the OCI? I have travelled first class, yeah. Often, while athletes travelled economy? No, never while athletes travelled economy. How did you go to Rio? I went to Rio for uh, business class. Business, okay, business class, but the athletes travelled first class, or uh, economy, did they? The athletes travelled economy, yeah. Is that something you will intend to continue, or will you travel the same way the athletes do? No, I didn't travel with the athletes, I travelled separately. No, I know that, but if they are travelling economy, do you think it is right that a member of the OCI travels in no, business class? No, I believe that everybody, on a long-haul trip like Rio, everybody should travel business class. Unfortunately, it's such an expensive uh, commodity that the, the OCI couldn't afford that. But they could afford it for members of the OCI? They, they, they could afford it for them. <laughs> His repeating oh, of the incriminating <laughs> information in the question he had already been asked is... That yeah, was Joanne Cantwell and RT Radio interviewing so William Corn. It's expensive that they couldn't afford it. <laughs> How has his campaigning been going since then? Well, he was asked... In a Q&A with uh, Sport for Business yesterday, or not yesterday, earlier in the week, um, what his favourite Olympic moment was, to which he replied, Sitting in the stand as Keane O'Connor won gold for Ireland in Athens. Pity the horse was dopey. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, damn horse. In his nefarious ways. I'm telling you, that horse, you just, you just couldn't take your eyes off that horse. Because, uh, yeah. Oh, very funny. I read a piece by Ian O'Reardon today in the Irish Times, though. And Willie O'Brien apparently is very much in the running for this. Sarah Keane is the favourite. She has most of the support from the 34 national... Go- the way the votes are, you have 34 national governing bodies with a vote each, plus the exi- eight existing OCI executive officers. There used to be more than eight. There would have been more than eight, but uh, John Delaney and others are not involved anymore, as we know. So that's 42 votes, and it's first past the post. Essentially, 22 votes will win it. And yeah, so Sarah Keane has most of the support from the national governing bodies. So if she gets enough of that, that'll see her home. But O'Brien has some of the, has the support from his own sport, apparently archery, along with ice hockey and wrestling, and is has also got the hickey old guard sticking by him. Mm. So if he gets a few more of those other sports, then who knows? But according to O'Reardon, he is certainly going to give Keane a run for it. So he's in there, despite some less than impressive campaigning from what we've heard so far. Maybe he'll pivot. You know, you don't know. <laughs> he Maybe might get in there pivot. and then pivot. Yeah, who yeah. knows? We'll keep an eye on that this evening. Just a quick reminder, the Second Captain's World Service launches on Monday. That's this coming Monday. 
February the 13th you can join up for daily podcasts on secondcaptains.com on that day if you need to check anything with us in the meantime just email editor at secondcaptains.com or tweet us at secondcaptains that's it for the time being thanks Kieran. thanks again thanks Ken it was amazing you're amazing it was amazing um, getting that podium finish with you guys and the teammates beloved teammates you know we cheated as well <laughs> Stop! We're trying to wrap this up. Oh, oh, look, it's, wrap it. look, it's a, it's no, 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 okay. Look, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what actually happened. Right? And, it's, and I don't. I didn't even really consider it to be cheating. It wasn't cheating, but some people. You might can think talk it was all, as long as you like because Simon's going to edit this out. He's already faded you out. It was a picture. Round. How did you see it? Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 